Exodus chapter 25, beginning in verse 8. And let them make me a sanctuary, this is God speaking, that I may dwell among them. According to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. And they shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two and a half cubic shall be its length, a cubic and a half its width, and a cubic and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold inside and out. You shall overlay it, and you shall make on it a molding of gold all around. You shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them in its four corners. Two rings shall be on one side and two rings on the other side. And you shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark that it may be carried by them. And this is important. The poles shall be in the rings of the ark and they shall not be taken from it. And you shall put into the ark of the testimony that which I give you. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits shall be its length and a cubit and a half its width. And you shall make two cherubim of gold of hammered work. You shall make them at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and the other cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherubim at the two ends of it of one piece with the mercy seat. And the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and they shall face one another. The faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. And there I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim which are on the ark of the testimony, about everything which I will give you in commandment to the children of Israel. Would you pray with me? Father God, I just thank you, and I praise you. For every person in this room. I pray, Lord God, for a spirit of wisdom and of revelation so that we might all know you better. I pray that you'd whisper truth in our ears and that you would let us hear your voice, Lord God, guiding and directing, that we might make immediate application of the truth we hear tonight into our own lives. Father, I'm really aware. That, that without you, these are just words that are falling on ears. I pray that you would hearken our ears to hear your voice. Lord God, that you would help me to clearly and effectively expound this message. And Lord God, that you would guide us and direct us into all truth tonight, I pray. Give us attentive ears and hearts to receive, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Everything that we're talking about, as I said earlier, uh, and everything that we've studied thus far is pointing us to and leading us to a picture of Jesus Christ. And the piece of furniture that we are about to study tonight, the Ark of the, the Covenant, is no different. In fact, I believe the Ark of the Covenant is the most important piece of furniture in the tabernacle. I want you to understand that we have studied all the other pieces of the furniture up until this time. 
But this is actually the first piece of furniture that God instructed Moses to make. And that, that's really, really, really important because um, the first piece, it, it emphasizes importance, that God chose this to be the first piece. Even though it's the last piece that we're studying, it was the first piece that God instructed Moses to build. And so the, the first would, would symbolize importance, but it also shows us because the Ark of the Covenant is symbolic of God's presence with his people. That's where his presence would rest. That's where his presence would fall. And because the Ark of the Covenant is symbolic of God's presence with his people, I want you to understand that if it was the first piece of furniture that God instructed Moses to, to build... That tells me that, that, that he was expressing initiative. They wanted us to understand that the initiative of salvation was not us approaching God for mercy. It was not us going through all of the motions to get into his presence. It was him saying, before I give you any other instruction, I want you to build a place for my presence because I want my people to understand this is my initiative. I am making the first step in salvation. You see, we, didn't, we love because he first loved. Loved us. We didn't come to Christ because of something good we did. We, gave, we came to Christ because he initiated us. He lured us. He drew us into his presence while we were yet still sinners. Christ died for us. He made provision for us to come in to his presence and be reconciled with him. So, so do not miss that. And so the ark was to be the very center of God's presence with his people. In verse 8, we see that he says, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. That was what he desired. He desires to dwell among his people. We are not left as orphans. We are not living with the far off distant God. We are living with a God who dwells within us who made initiative to come and live inside us, to not leave us as orphans. And so the Ark of the Covenant, what we're going to study tonight, is the, is the last piece of furniture we're going to study, but the first one that God told them to build. But it's actually two separate pieces of furniture. It, it is the Ark of the Covenant, but it also is the mercy seat. Those were two separate pieces of furniture. As you can see, the Ark of the Covenant uh, was, was uh, located in the Holy of Holies or the most holy place, whichever you prefer. Don, can you put that diagram back up again? Uh, We've talked about this many times and how the tabernacle was divided into three separate uh, sections. It was the outer courtyard, the holy place, and the holy of holies, or the outer courtyard, uh, the holy place, and, and the most holy place, whichever you prefer there. Um, and, and remember, this is a picture of Jesus. It was symbolic of Jesus. And Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Do you remember that scripture? He, he's dividing, he's showing us just that tabernacle right there. If you look at the outer courtyard, he is the way. Do you, do you understand just from what we've studied? Remember, we studied that you had to come in through that gate, that that white curtain was symbolic of the righteousness of God and how we could not approach his holiness because of our sin and that there was one gate that we could come in through and it was that first gate out there. And as we came in that gate... 
We were first met with the brazen altar. We were first met with an understanding that there must be blood, that the wages of sin is death. There had to be death. There had to be a sacrifice for our sin. And that was at that brazen altar. He is the way. His sacrifice. He is the sacrificial lamb. There is no other way to God except through him, through his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. Do do you understand that? The labor, if I were to get my hands bloodied at that altar and the next step was to, to go into, was to, to go to the labor, my hands would be bloodied when I got there mixed with water, the water and the blood. Do you see the picture of Jesus there? He is the way. The next entrance way is the truth. And that goes into that holy place. And we talked about the holy place uh, and how it had three pieces of furniture in it. It had the table of showbread or the table of presence is what I prefer. The table of presence. And then it had the menorah or the lampstand. Then it had the altar of incense. And we talked about how the table of pre- the bread of presence was on that table. And, and we talked about how Jesus says he is the bread of life. He's our sustenance. We cannot find life any other way. It's only through Jesus. And you see, as you move from that outer court, just knowing that he's the way, and you come into a deeper relationship with him as you study his word and eat of his presence, eat of his word, and, and you, you, we talked about the lampstand being the, the revelation of the Holy Spirit, the illumination of, of the Holy Spirit and how when he illuminates his word to us and, and then the altar of incense being the place of prayer, the place of intercession, but also in the picture of Jesus that he always lives to make intercession for us, that right now he's beside the Father ever living to make intercession for us, interceding on our behalf. You see, as we go deeper with the Lord, We don't just understand he's the way to heaven. Now we're going deeper and and we're allowing him to expose truth in our life, to uncover things in our life that need to be uncovered, to shine his light of truth. And we're discovering, you know what, Lord, you really are truth. Your word really works. Tonight we were praying as a a team and and I've been thinking all day long about the scripture where, where the angel of the Lord comes to Mary. Mary. A very, very young girl who had never been with a man sexually. And she says, you're going to conceive a child. And Mary says, how, how could this ever be? I haven't even been with the man. And, and they, the, the angel of the Lord said, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. Yeah, right. And, and we haven't even heard from the Lord in 400 years. And now you're telling me this young girl who's never been sexual with a man that the Holy Spirit's going to come upon me and that I'm going to not just conceive a child, I'm going to conceive the Messiah, the Savior of this world, the Son of, uh, yeah, the Son of God. How can this be, she says. And the angel said, for with God, nothing, nothing is impossible. Mary said, let it be to me, uh, let it be unto me as you have said, as the God has said, whatever he says, you know what, I, I'm in a place that I'm looking at that and I'm saying, that is impossible, that is this crazy making, that is, cra- that is, does not even make sense to my logical mind, but you know what, if God said it, it must be truth, and so let it be unto me as he has said. 
And you see, that's the place that as we draw closer to the Lord, as we go deeper into, into his presence, as we spend time in his word and time basking in the presence of the Holy Spirit, time in prayer, we get to that place where we understand he is truth. And if he said it, I'm going to believe it. Not because it makes sense to my mortal mind. Not that it makes sense to, to, to my logical mind. But because he said it, and I know he's not just the way, he is the truth. I'm going to choose to believe it. That's taking us deeper with him. And then I am the way, the truth, and the life. Oh, I'm just telling you. Here's what I know. There is no other life outside of him. There isn't. There is nothing like experiencing his presence. There's nothing like experiencing his glory. But you see, you can't do that if you're an outer court Christian. If you are content just being saved and going to heaven, you rock on with your bad self, you can be content. You're still going to go to heaven. You've been saved by grace and not by works. But you see, as we press through and we go deeper and deeper into his presence, we, we taste life like we've never ever experienced it before. Leah, I'm going to ask Leah. Leah, are you okay with this? I'm going to ask Leah to just come, come up and just share a story. Tonight we were in prayer and Leah said, I just, I just need to tell something to Bria because I need to encourage her that what she's teaching really works. And she had no idea what I was going to talk about tonight. And she said this and I was like, oh my goodness, it says it so much better than I could ever say it. And so I asked her if she would share this testimony with you. And you just share what you feel led. So um, when we've been going through this series, this Exodus series, um, the Lord's been just <laughs> teaching me how to pray differently. And um, I know that I've, I've spent a lot of time in my younger years like journaling and telling the Lord about different things that have gone wrong or I want to see him change and been real detailed about that, telling him all the things that he needs to understand. Um, and the Lord's been shifting me in the last couple of years to understand that his word is what I need to be saying over my circumstances and over the things that I struggle with. And so I've been trying to hide his word in my heart. And when things come up, I've been trying to repeat those things back to him. And, um, it's just been a really pressing time. There's a lot of things that have been, uh, changed in my life and, um, just going through some really hard circumstances, a lot of them in, in not just one, it's one after the other. And, um, you know, I, in the beginning of all of this, I, I sensed that the enemy was trying to tell me, you know, the Lord isn't protecting you. The Lord doesn't take care of things. The Lord doesn't understand. He doesn't care. He's not fair. He's not just, you know, all these lies. And I had to learn to say the Lord is always just. He's the only just judge. And the Lord understands my pain. He protects me. He's my shelter. He's my high tower. And um, and just repeating those things to him. And then for other situations that aren't mine, but in, in people that I care about, that he is our healer, that he is the only way to 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 resolve any of the issues that we have in life and and as of late he's been teaching me about the beatitudes um and just that the the meek inherit the earth and um and and he will give beauty for ashes and joy 
the oil of joy for mourning. And so I was having a really, really hard day, um, actually a couple of days, a series of days, but on, on one day it got really hard, and I was praying throughout the day, and I was talking to the Lord about these, and I was repeating them the same thing over and over again, the things that I had been t- repeating, all the promises that he's telling me to put over my circumstances. And, um, and it just got to a point where... I would get past it and then something else would go wrong and I just felt like I was getting hit and hit and hit. And um, the Lord told me, go pray. And I was thinking, I've been praying all day. And I went to my room and I I started to tell him the promises over my circumstances. And he said, I don't want you to, to even talk about those things. I just want you to pray to me. And he just wanted me to tell him who he was and that he was the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and that he was Jehovah Rapha. And it wasn't any of the promises about my circumstances that I can't control. And as I did that, um, I just experienced that. And, and, I, and I don't know how to put it into words, really. I don't know how to articulate it. I can just tell you that the things that are going on are, are things that one of those things would put you out. And it's just one thing after the other. And when I left that place of prayer, none of those places looked any better. And yet, um, the Lord has really changed my heart about those circumstances. And he, he met me there. I just know that he met me there. And I know that none of those things matter. I, they matter to him, and he perfects all that concerns us. But what matters is that he meets me in all of those circumstances. And... I, I don't know how to articulate it. I hope I articulated it well, but he he is bigger than all of those things, and I, I just know that, and he met me in that place. So. Leah, is that something that you could uh, have apprehended in the outer court? No. Even in the holy place? No. It, it was pressing through to get into his presence that really led you yeah. into that place of life. And you, you see, I, you know I preach this to you all the time, that... that that I really, I know my call, and I know that I'm not called to tickle ears. I'm called to call people up higher, to, to, to make disciples, to make followers of Christ, to make people, uh, to, to mature the body of believers. I, I know that's my call, and, and I'm okay with that. I'm not going to change who I am, but, but I can't change my message to make you comfortable, and I'm telling you there are people who are content to be that, in that outer court, people who don't want to spend time in the word, people who don't want to spend time in his presence, people who don't want to spend time in prayer. But you see what Leah found out, I will tell you, she is under uh, exaggerating because she has one of the hardest lives of anybody I know, truly harder than anybody I know. There are times I go to prayer for her and I'm like, Lord, can you just give her a little relief? She just needs a little relief. She has a hard life. And so when she's telling you that, she, she, wasn't, she wasn't stressing it enough. She was being very humble. I'm telling you, there are times I'm sure that she feels like, Lord, where are you and why aren't you moving in my life? But you see, what I've seen in Leah, as long as I've known her, is that, that she knows how to press through. She knows how not to just stay in that out court and say, praise the Lord, I'm going to heaven and that's enough for me. She knows how to get into his presence. She knows how to spend time in his word. She knows how to not just stop there to say, I I know you're the way, Lord. I know you're the truth, but I have got to experience you as the life. And so I'm going to press forward and I'm going to remind myself of the truth that I know no matter what my circumstances say. I'm going to remind myself who you are, Lord. 
I'm going to remind myself. And you see, that is who he is. He's not just the way. He's not just the truth. He is the life as well. You see, the tabernacle is all about approach. It's all about moving towards God in intimacy with him. Uh, I, I want you to know that we're gonna, this is the, the Ark of the Covenant that we're studying tonight. We see that in verse 22. It's called by many names. Look at verse 22. It's called the Ark of the Testimony. That's because it holds the testimony or the Ten Commandments. And in Numbers 10.33, we see it called the Ark of the Covenant. That's what I refer to it as. Uh, in 1 Samuel 3.3, 3, it's called the Ark of God. In 1 Kings 2.26, it's called the Ark of the Lord God. In 2 Chronicles 35.3, it's called the Holy Ark. But my very favorite is Psalm 132, verse 8. It's called the Ark of Your Strength. Can I tell you, His presence is the Ark of Your Strength. As I said, it was the first piece of furniture that God told uh, Moses to build. And in verse 10, we see his instruction on how to build it. He said, they shall make an ark of acacia wood. We've studied acacia wood throughout this study. You'll remember that it's virtually indestructible, that it's incorruptible, that it withstand the elements, that there's a, a, a resin in it that will repel insects. Um, and so it really is a solid wood, and, and it's symbolic of humanity, of Christ's humanity. It says, you shall make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits shall be its length, a cubit and a half its width, and a cubic and a half its height. Now, we've talked about how a cubic is the measurement from the elbow to the tip of the middle finger. It's approximately 18 inches long. And so the ark, you can see, Don, if you can put a picture of the ark up, it was two and a half cubits or 45 by 27. So 45 uh, width, or I'm sorry, length, uh, 45 or 27 width, and then 27 height as well. And so that would have been the size. And, and it was made of pure gold. In verse 11, we see, and you shall overlay it with pure gold. Now, pure gold is different than regular gold that's been mentioned throughout Exodus and that we've studied in the other pieces of the tabernacle furniture. This was to be made of pure gold. Verse 11 says, make it of pure gold inside and out. You shall overlay it and you shall make its molding of gold, not pure gold, just gold there all around. So notice that it was overlaid inside and out with pure gold. It had a molding of gold all around it. And the ark is a picture of God's throne, his presence among his people. But even better, it's a picture of the heart of the believer. God's presence dwells there. His presence landed there. His presence uh, is displayed there. And so not only is the ark symbolic of God's presence, it's also uh, symbolic of the heart of a believer because God tabernacled within us. His presence is living within us. My heart is symbolic of this ark. Are you with me? And the ark was overlaid with pure gold. But notice, if you write in your Bibles, you want to underline this. Notice it was overlaid inside and out. What's the first part? Inside. Notice God said inside. 
Inside matters. <laughs> the Bible says that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart and how we need to, to, to be overlaid inside with pure gold, not corrupt it. Pure gold didn't have any impurities in it. You know the goldsmith, when he, when he was purifying gold, he would turn up the fire really, really high, and he would get it as hot as he could, and the dross would, would come to the surface of the gold, and he would skim it off, and then he'd turn up the fire even more, and more dross, more impurities would come to the surface, and he would skim it off. You see, Leah... The reason she has so many trials and tribulation and pain in her life is because the goldsmith is refining her. He's bringing up the dross in her life, and she is shining like pure gold. And you know when the, when the goldsmith would finish uh, refining gold? When he could catch his reflection in it. You and I. The heat of trials and tribulations, we, we want to run from them, we want to avoid them, but I'm just here to tell you, brothers and sisters, it is that very fire in your life that will purify you. Junk comes out of me in trials that I did not even know was in there. Sometimes I'm like, Lord, how did you let me get away with that for so long? Why didn't you turn up the fire long before this? Needed to be pure gold. In verses 12 through 15, it says, You shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them in its four corners. Two rings shall be on one side and two rings on the other. You see, there were four rings of gold. Notice these weren't pure gold. Pure gold is really soft. And so if these rings were, were made of pure gold, they would be too soft for the pulls to hold. And, and so it was made just of gold. And, and then these, these poles, it says, you shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark that the ark may be carried by them. The poles of these rings of the ark shall not be taken from them. They should never be removed. And it is the only piece of furniture. There were several pieces of furniture that had rings and poles in order to transport them through the wilderness. You remember that, don't you? But this is the only piece of furniture that the pools were told to remain in at all times. Oh, I love this. There are lots of reasons I believe that, that God said to do that, but I think the most important one is that God's presence, that was symbolic of God's presence. Are you with me? And so it was a picture of his readiness to move with his people. He was ready at all times to move with us. He is God, Emmanuel, God who's with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And the idea that those pools were left in that, the ark of his presence, the ark of the covenant, tells me he wants you to know that his readiness to move with you wherever you go is always there. But I believe there's another picture. Uh, it actually says that the, those rings were to be put on the four corners of the ark. And some of your version will say at the feet of the ark. Some of your versions, I think the ESV says, at the feet of the ark. And, and that's interesting to me. It says, you shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them on its four feet. Notice it's feet, not corners. The word means stroke, beat, foot, step, footstep. And if you look at some of the pictures that, that we put uh, on your printouts tonight and that Don can put on the screen, some of them show the poles in the middle of the ark. Do you see that? And some of them show the pulls at the bottom, at the foot of the ark. I believe 
It's at the foot of the ark. I, I believe that the, the pools were at the very bottom of the ark. The ark is symbolic of the throne of God. If you look at the pictures with the cherubim on them, pull up your pictures and look at them. It's some of the pictures that I included, there's one in particular. Don, keep buzzing through those. Uh, there, there's one, that one. Look at that. If you look at that, does it not look like a throne where somebody could sit? And that's what it's supposed to look like. It was his throne. Now, when the presence of God came, it came right down in between those two cherubim. Do you see that? That, that empty place right there, it was kept empty. So the presence of God, the Shekinah glory, would fall right into that place. Do you see it? And it would be, he would be on his throne. Are you with me? But you see, the feet is really important there. Because what was in that ark, we'll see soon, is the Ten Commandments. God's contract with us, if you will. God's, God's uh, uh, what's the word I want to use there? The, the covenant. Well, yeah, but, but it was really, uh, if you look at the Ten Commandments, it was really God's um, idea of what he wanted from us. It was, it was his covenant with us, as Dave said, but, but it was really um, what he expected of his people. And you and I know we can never meet that. But it was put at his foot, <laughs> at the feet, it says. That, 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 so it would have been in that, in that chest, in that covenant. It's important when we start talking about what's in that, in that, that chest that you remember the word foot there because we're going to come back to that. If I don't, somebody remind me of that. But it says to put one of those rings on each side of the ark. And, and the side, the word side there means rib. And again, we can look at these pictures and you can see that the circles are all over the place on these pictures. But the side, some of them, you'll see, Don, see how that one, go back, Don. You see how that one covers the front of the ark? I don't believe that's what it meant. The sides is where those rings were supposed to go. So Don, go to the next one. You see how those, those rings are on the side. Are you with me? So when you carried that, you, you would stand with the ark facing the long way with one man on this side with a, with a pull on his arm, one man on this side with a pull of his arm so they could see where they were going, the, the long part of the ark in between them. And, and that way, when they went back into the Holy of Holies after they had gone through the wilderness, they wouldn't have to turn the thing around in that small space. They could walk it in, drop it, and those, those pulls would always remain there. Are you with me? So um, you make your decision. I included a lot of pictures for you. You make the decision based on Scripture what you think. This is what I think. I think it was on the sides, uh, on the ribs, not on the front. So why would those pulls have to remain in there? I read an interesting article this week. I talked to Dave about it, and he had already known this. Remember, that ark... That, uh, that, that box was made of what? Wood and overlaid with gold. Inside and out. Stay with me. So it would be like three boxes. Are you with me? A box of gold, a box of wood, a box of gold. How many of you ever did science experiments where you would cover something, a piece of wood maybe, with tinfoil? Do we have any electrical engineers or... I? I, I, need, I, I need Dean here. 
Um, because what this really is, is a conduit. It, it's a conductor. Do you remember the stories where people would touch the ark and what would happen? They'd die immediately. One hand on the ark, they'd fall. Two hands, they fell over dead. Conductor, conduit of electricity there. Wait till we start talking about the body and how that part in the, in the most holy place is symbolic of your head, your brain. What kind of impulses are always firing in your brain? Electrical. Just wait until you hear what we're going to study about that. Fascinating. But, but they say, what I've read, that even if they don't know where the Ark of the Covenant is right now, but they say that if it was ever uncovered at this time right now after never being, you know, being buried or whatever, that, that it would have such an electrical energy in it that it would be dangerous to even get close to. I'm, I'm sorry? You would think so. Yeah, you would think so. And, and so fascinating because of the, the presence of God there. Uh, you know the story about David when he was bringing the ark uh, back from Judah, and he, instead of carrying it on the shoulders like God commanded, what did he do? Put it on a cart. And what happened with Uzzah? It started to fall off, and he went to grab it. Noble thing, right? But what happened to him? He died. Because the Bible says, listen to this verse, it says... The Lord's anger burned against him because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. So what did God say? Carry it on poles, never remove the poles from it. They put it on a cart. They approached God irreverently by just laying a hand on it. Church, I'm just going to tell you, we need to be careful how we're approaching God. Bible says he burned with anger because of his irreverent approach to God. Verse 11 says, you shall put into the ark of the testimony which I you shall put into the ark the testimony which I will give you. The testimony. You you know that that is the 10 commandments he's referring to there. That's why it's called the ark of the covenant. This is his covenant with his people. Riken says, and this was what I was looking for, it held the terms of God's relationship with, with Israel. That's what the Ten Commandments were. They were the terms of God's relationship with Israel. And because I told you it looked like a throne, Don, put that picture back up again. Uh, the Bible says that the, 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 the throne of God, that's where he would have been sitting. And so remember the word feet, put him under your feet. The, the Ten Commandments would have been inserted in there. And so they would have been under his feet, if you will. That's really significant because it's the way covenants were established in the, Ori in the ancient world. Uh, if, if there was a covenant made in the pagan religion, for example, with idols, they would put that covenant, that contract, at the, the idol's feet. Okay, if there was a covenant between two kings, they would take it into their pagan worship, they would put it at the feet of their idols because they believed that, that their God, little g God, would watch over that covenant and make sure it was performed. Watch, watch over it and make sure that it was, it was kept correctly, if you will. Ten Commandments under his feet. Interesting. We can't keep those Ten Commandments. And we're going to talk about God making provision 
even for that as we go on. But I want to talk not just that the, the testimony was found in that ark. Does anybody know what else was in that ark? The, the, the pot of manna, what else? And the Aaron's, Aaron's rod that had budded. Very good. And, and turn back to Hebrews, Hebrews 9. We see it here. It's not found in, in Exodus. It's going to be found in Hebrews 9, verses 1 through 5. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which there were a golden pot that had manna, Aaron's rod that had budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it all, were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat of these things. We, can, we cannot now speak in detail. So the golden pot that had manna, Aaron's buddy rod, and the ten, the ten Commandments, the tablets for the Ten Commandments. So again, the ark is a picture of Jesus, the divine taking on humanity. That's the wood and the gold. I, I want you to notice that the wood and the gold in that were not intermingled. They were not corrupted by each other. It's a picture of humanity and divinity. He was, he was fully man and fully God, and they didn't corrupt each other. The attributes stayed separate. Are you with me? Such a beautiful picture of that. But, but those, those things that were in the, the, um, the, the Ark of the Covenant are important. If you're thinking about how they relate to Christ, then the, then the rod, the budding rod that was once dead and then budded and came back to life is a picture of his death and resurrection. If you're thinking about the manna, you think about in relationship to Christ, that he is the bread of life. If you're thinking about the Ten Commandments, he is not only the law giver, he's the law keeper. Do you see how they all pertain to Christ? But remember, I told you that the ark is also a picture of the believer, the heart of the believer. Paul referred to his earthly body as a tabernacle. So if that's the case, how does that apply to us? The manna is symbolic of God's provision. Remember, the manna had to be collected every day. They were fresh every morning. Lamentation said his mercies are new every morning. God is living within us on the throne of our life, but every day we have to choose to partake in his abundant, ongoing provision. And when we do, we find his provision is new every morning. Aaron's budding rod, it's new life from death. It's the resurrection power. That's what Leah experienced when she got into his presence, that she was full of death, she was full of despair and gloom, but she got in his presence and resurrection life came. The Ten Commandments are not a list of rules. Here's where this just pushes my button. People say, Rhea, the Ten Commandments are no longer valid. Are you crazy? The Ten Commandments reveal the nature of God to us. They give us something to look at and say, this is the nature of God. They reveal the nature of God to us. They're not Ten Commandments. They're, they're not Ten Suggestions. They're Ten Commandments. But those Ten Commandments condemn us. Can I just tell you? Because we cannot fulfill them. They, they show us we do not measure up. I also think better than that, those Ten Commandments is a picture of man's inability to obey God and his commands. It's a picture of refusal to follow God's divine uh, direction. The manna symbolizes man's rejection of God's provision. 
It it, it shows that that we look to God and we reject what he says is good for our life. We reject what he says this is enough for your life. We reject his way of doing things in our life. And then the but it rod, that, that can be man's questioning authority. That rod was symbolic of Aaron's authority, his power. And so it's, it's symbolic of questioning governing authority, but more importantly, the lordship of God. And you see, that ark is full of things that when we look at can condemn us, that we don't measure up to. I do question God's authority and his lordship sometimes. I do question his provision sometimes. I'm telling you, I can't keep those Ten Commandments. And it's really, 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 really clear to me. And so I stand before God who's on the throne and I am condemned by the things that are underneath his feet and I can't measure up. He is up in heaven in holiness and I am sitting down filled with unholiness and sin. I have to have something that covers that, that comes between his holiness and my sinfulness. And that is the next piece of this furniture. God made provision even for that. Verses 17 through 21. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits shall be its length and a cubic and a half its width. You shall make two cherubim of gold of hammered work. You shall make them at the two ends of the mercy seat. Cherub at one end, the other cherub at the other end. And you shall make the cherub at, at the two ends of it one piece with the mercy seat. And the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings. They shall face one another. The faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. Notice, the mercy seat is not made of wood. There's no humanity involved here. It's pure gold. It's a picture of God's mercy. God's mercy. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would come into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the blood on the, on, on, of the sacrifice on the mercy seat. The, the word mercy seat there means a lid or covering. The mercy seat covers the tablets of the law, covers the manna, covers the, the, the budding rod of Aaron. The tablets are, of the law are God's standard. It covers the penalty of me not being able to measure up to God's standard. Do you see that? The mercy seat, the blood of the sacrifice poured out comes between the throne of God, his holiness, and my unholiness, and it covers it. Now when God looks down from his throne, he sees the blood of Jesus that paid the penalty for us to be free. And now we can approach him with confidence because of that blood that was on the mercy seat. The word mercy seat there comes from the word meaning to cover, to purge, to make atonement, to make reconciliation, to cover with pitch. You say, well, Rhea, is the word ark here, ark of the covenant, the same word that's used for Noah's ark and the ark that Moses was put in to protect him? No, they're not even close. But the Bible says that Noah's ark, Noah was instructed to cover his ark with pitch. Pitch it with pitch is the, is the, the, the language that was used. Are you with me? When, when Moses' mother put him in the ark, she was told to pitch that ark with pitch. Why? To protect it from the water coming in. Are you with me? 
and it would seal that ark and protect it. Oh, somebody, are you with me? The word pitch is the word that is the mercy seat. In other words, it's protecting me from the wrath of God. The blood of Jesus poured out for me, protects me. Somebody say hallelujah, because that is good stuff. It is not me performing. It's not me able to meet those 10 commandments and do it well. It is not me, oh no, I question God's authority. Is he going to strike me dead? No, it is the mercy of God, the goodness of God that covers me and protects me and pitches me with pitch. And now I can approach him boldly and confidently and find help in my time of need. Amen. Hallelujah, Lord. Flip over to Leviticus 16. Leviticus 16, just back one uh, one book, Leviticus 16, verses, I'm finishing, 11 through 14. And Aaron shall bring the bowl of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house, and he shall kill the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself. Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, and with his hands full of sweet incense, beaten fine, and bring it inside the veil. And he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony, lest he die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. Before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. So once a year, the high priest would go in to that mercy seat and, and sprinkle blood on it to atone for the sins of the, na- uh, of the nation and make sure they were in right relationship with God. And the blood poured out on that mercy seat covered the standards of God and atoned for them missing the mark. The blood poured out on the mercy seat is symbolic of God's mercy poured out towards us. The wages of sin is death. There has to be death. Christ on the cross provided that so that we could have atonement, so that we could, the, the word atonement is at one minute. It means two parties are now reconciled. Because of the cross of Calvary, two parties are now reconciled. Us and God are reconciled together. Turn back to Hebrews 9. We were there earlier, but let's look at Hebrews 9 again. Hebrews 9 verse 22 says, and according to the law, Almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sin. There's no remission. There can be no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. There can be no mercy without the blood applied to the mercy seat. The Bible says that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. Keeping in Hebrews 9, look at verses um, 11. But Christ came as the high priest of good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. But if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling on the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more? Shall the blood of Christ, who through eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? How much more? 
It's interesting, the meaning of ark there, I told you, wasn't the same as Noah's ark. It means chest, it means money chest, it means ark of the covenant. But here's my favorite, it means coffin. Remember at the end of uh, Genesis, I think it was Joseph's bones, the Bible says they put in a coffin. It's that word. If the ark is symbolic of the heart of every believer, and the word ark means coffin, what is that a picture of? How we need to die so Christ can live in us, so that he can shine brighter within us. Lastly, I want you to see that there were two cherubim on the top. It was made in one piece. The two cherubim and the mercy seat were all of one piece of gold. How wild is that? But Kenneth Riken says, cherubim are special angels mentioned a hundred times in the Old Testament. They are first mentioned in Genesis 3 when they're charged with guarding the way, way to the tree of life. This seems to show their function. Unlike some of the other angels, the cherubim are not messengers, this is what I want you to hear, but remain in the king's presence to deny access to anything unholy. The palace guards for the king of kings, if you will. That's what cherubim were. They were to sit in the king's presence and deny access by anything unholy. Look at those cherubim up there. Remember, I said that was his throne. His presence came down, Shekinah glory, and they were there to guard against anything unholy coming into his presence. Notice the scripture says they were to be looking down when Moses made them. He says, make sure they're looking down towards the ark, not up. Why? Anybody have a guess? What's coming down from heaven onto that ark? The glory, the presence of God. And so they can't look at the presence of God and, and, and live. And so they're looking down towards the, the ark. I want you to see that. Notice that Hebrews 9.5 called it the cherubim of glory. I really like that. It means that glory was coming down from above and the cherubim were there beside it. This was the place that God said to Moses, I will meet with you in that place, that my presence is going to come down and I'll meet with you and I'll give you the commands to take back to my people. This was the place where Moses would go to hear from the Lord. This is such a picture of God's, God, the plan of redemption in our life. Do you see it? Do you have any questions about it? There's so much more. I, I could have kept you here for another hour giving you more details of the Ark of the Covenant. I, I would love to be able to talk to you about the veil. I, I'd love to be able to talk to you about the covering on the tabernacle. There were so many coverings. That's all so important. We just can't get into all that or we'll still be here studying the, the tabernacle in June. But take some time and study that. When Christ was crucified on the cross of Calvary, the Bible says that the veil and the temple was rent from the top to the bottom, uh, from the bottom to the top. Is that right? Other way around. Top to the bottom. From the top to the bottom. And, and that veil, I wish you could know how thick that veil is. It's not a thin curtain that would be easy to tear. It's a thick, thick curtain or thick, thick veil. And the Bible says it was torn from the top to the bottom. And in other words, it was a picture of God doing it. And it was because he wanted us to not be stuck behind that veil. He wanted it nothing to know all, all, all. Anything that could hinder our, our coming into his presence to be torn down in Jesus' name. 
no shame, no condemnation. All of that was provided for so that we could come boldly into God's presence. But if you have time, start looking. Look at all those layers of fabric. That's important. That veil and, and the width of that veil is, is really, really important. And all things that we, we really should cover, but we just won't have the time to do. Um, but the ark, if, if you do some study on the ark, uh, take note that when the Israelites went to battle with their enemy, what always went out first? The ark, the, the presence of God. Sometimes the enemies would turn back when they saw that ark coming because they knew the presence of God was with them. So when you do battle with the enemy, it's interesting, usually the, the worshipers would go out, they didn't have any weapons in their hand, and they would take the the Ark of the Covenant with them, and it was the presence of God. If God be for us, who in their right mind can be against us? Why are we fighting battles with our mouth? Why are we fighting battles in court? Why are we fighting battles with just nasty, unkind stuff? Get in the presence of God and take his presence into whatever place you're fighting your battle. But let me just pray for you before you go. Father, I thank you for your presence. Thank you for your power and your goodness to us. But most of all, Lord, I thank you for your mercy. Your mercy poured out on our behalf. That you didn't give us what we deserve, Lord God. In fact, you gave us what we don't deserve. Mercy and grace. We thank you for that, Lord. May we never take it for granted. May we never try to earn it. Lord God, we thank you for your goodness. Father, I pray that this week we be mindful about pushing through into your presence. All day long I've been thinking about the scripture that says, set your eyes on things above and not on the things of this earth. How distracted we can be, Lord God, when we, when we start looking at the things going on around us and we don't push through to your presence. We don't keep our eyes fixed on things above. Lord, if those cherubim had to put their heads down because your glory was so heavy, I pray this week, Lord God, that we would experience your glory like that. That all we could do was bow in your presence. Lord, be so real to us. I pray, Lord, for people here tonight specifically who are doubting the realness of your presence, who are doubting, Lord God, your faithfulness and your goodness, who have never tasted of your mercy and your grace. Father, I pray that they'd encounter you in a way this week like they never have before, that you'd be more real to them than you've ever been, Lord, that they would not be able to deny the power of your presence. Reveal yourself to us, Lord. Take us to higher heights and deeper depths with you, Lord. We want to go in deep, deeper still. Love you, and we give you glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.